Hello, 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 and welcome to Comic Book Carol Live. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening and watching Comic Book Herald Live for the week of February 8, 2023. Today we're going to talk about new comics that came out, as well as some other exciting topical things going on in the world of X-Men, in comics, in games. I just saw Nintendo Direct. They're doing Metroid Prime on the Switch, baby. This will lead, this will finally lead to the fulfillment I've been seeking. One of my favorite, favorite games of all time. Super excited to play that on Switch. Uh, I have not followed any other Nintendo news, but that one's going to be fun. But that's not primarily what we're going to talk about, other than the fact that obviously I will be playing that with all of the lights on. Way too spooky. Way too spooky. Now we have a hot debate over on the Mime Roll This Year podcast. Zach says Metroid Prime is not spooky. I say terrifying one of the spookiest. Let us know in the comments here if you're here with us live, spooky or no. Or, or, if you're young and cool, you could say, what is that? Right? That'd be a very cool, a young and cool answer that you were not playing your GameCube <laughs> obsessively in the early 2000s. Uh, as we move in, hey everybody, thanks for joining live. Really appreciate it. Uh, of course, I'm Dave with Comic Book Herald. You can find all my stuff at comicbookherald.com online at Comic Book Herald, and of course here on the YouTube channel. If you like the YouTube channel, please like, subscribe, and share. I'm seeing some folks coming in saying they've been waiting for this, seeing a, a visitor from Sweden saying hi from Sweden. Hey, thanks for joining from, uh, from the distant Swedish lands. I hope to visit there one day. I think like Give me travel wrecks. <laughs> we, could, we could spend an hour doing travel wrecks. No, that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the first Sins of Sinister tie-in that came in. Oh, I can't even continue before I see Chris saying, it's spooky for babies. Keon saying, not spooky at all, bruh. Killing me. Killing me. One of the spookiest games of all time. How dare you? Uh, you've both been shadow banned from YouTube. Sorry. Sorry, I have to announce it this way, but you are now shadow banned. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame, really, but there we go. Uh, we're going to talk about Storm of the Brotherhood, number one, written by Al Ewing. Exciting, exciting time. A lot of big stuff happened in that. We also had the launch of Bishop War College. It's going to be a five-issue mini. It's written by Jay Holtham, who has written for a lot of Marvel TV projects, actually. Um, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, oh, gee. oh, Jessica Jones as well. Um, and it had... It was a very by-the-numbers first issue, and then the last page was potentially really flipping cool. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. And, uh, of course, everything we talk about today. Oh, and then because I was I was not here last week, I was sick, um, I still got this lingering cough, right? So there's a chance that I can only go about 10 minutes here, and then I just devolve into just a fit of coughs. Um, so apologies if that happens. But I was not here last week, so we didn't talk about Legion of X number 10. So we can talk about that a little bit. I'm seeing a lot of hype. For Legion of X number 10 here in the comments from folks, um, some some folks saying it was brilliant, that it's one of the best of the year. Uh, Ace says, let's start here. However, the best X-Men issue I've read this year is Legion number 10. Size the MVP of the Krakoa era so far. High praise. High praise there from Ace. It got me thinking, so, I mean, I don't agree, but that's fine. I'm glad people enjoyed this. It was a, a lot of stuff happened. It was a big, eventful comic. Um... Who is the MVP of the Krakoa era? I mean, that's a that's a modestly interesting question because the obvious answer, right, is Jonathan Hickman, right? How could you give it to anyone else except the writer who envisioned the whole thing, right, with House and Powers? Contenders to the throne, Pepe Larraz, for the incredible art in-house, consistently good art in the original Hellfire Gala, and X-Men for, like, a minute. Remember how that run was announced as Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larraz doing a run of X-Men? What did Pepe do? Like, four issues? <laughs> I mean, it's not shocking. I mean, that's it's it's hard to maintain that pace, and not everybody wants to do it. Um, but that that one didn't didn't pan out, <laughs> as advertised. Uh, you got Al Ewing as a contender. Uh, Sword was great. X-Men Red was great, or is great. <clears throat> and today we got Sins of Sinister, Storm of the Brotherhood. Okay, so Al, I mean, Al Ewing is a key, key guy, glue guy, right? Keeping keeping the X-Men franchise afloat through the reign of X 
and now into the Destiny of X. Uh, obviously, I like what Karen Gillen's doing a lot. Came in late, you know, came into the party late enough that I, I just think anyone who wasn't here for House Dawn Rain, it's hard to it, it, it's hard to say you could be in that conversation for full on MVP. How about Marty Gracia? Comment here from Jordan. That's a nice comment. That's a nice comment. I think Marty Gracia wins six man of the year for sure. Um, you know, like just this unsung hero off the bench doing the colors. For so Marty Gracia colored House of X and Powers of Ten. Then does the colors for a lot of Pepe Larraza stuff on X-Men. But every time you see Marty Gracia on an issue, he make he they I pronouns, I don't know which. Uh, so apologies. Um, but but they make it look like House of X again. Like their colors evoke that sensibility, even when it's not Pepe. That's a great call. That's a really great call. I mean, MVP is maybe a little too strong, you know, but like I like that call a lot. Um who else? Uh, I'm seeing Zeb Wells nominated. Um, Hellions was great, but that's kind of all we got, right? I mean, like, the, not that that's nothing, right? Like, <laughs> it's the, probably the best straight-up X-Men run in this era. Um, I, I still got to give the vote to Hickman, but it is, it's tricky because it is. It's like, you know, really? Can you give the vote to the person who launched it all, set the stage for everything, and then was gone as it escalated and moves into this phase. That's tricky. I mean, in a year's time, I think we're probably looking at Ewing and Gillen a lot more seriously for MVP, um, which is one thing I also wanted to mention. So, like, Al Ewing talks about this in his newsletter today. And it's been reported other places. I mean, Karen Gillen talked about this in the, the interview I did with him on CBH. Uh, Al Ewing staying on X-Men Red after Sins is Sinister. Karen Gillen staying on Immortal X-Men after Sins of Sinister. They have plans for a while. <laughs> We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I think the, the Hickman exodus, emphasis on the X, uh, really traumatized a lot of X-Men fans <laughs> in, in the sense that there's a, a real desperation and neediness and clinginess <laughs> now to like creators that come in and do a good job. And just being like, oh, you're going to leave, aren't you? <laughs> just really, really hangdog, kind of beaten down looks. Um, they're here for a while. Now, obviously, things can change. But uh, what they have said repeatedly and reportedly is Ewing and Gillen are going to be doing X-Men comics, I mean, at least through the end of this year, which is good. I mean, it's not just good. It's essential. Like, that is that is why this line is has continued to be interesting, you know, is the, is that presence at the top. Um, I'm seeing a super chat here from Brandon Jones. Just showing support. Love the channel, Dave. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I got to tell you guys, I can already feel it. Uh, this this lingering throat issue is going to be an issue. So we're going to have more water breaks today. We are not going to have a host who has the good sense to bring someone else in to speak to. <laughs> that, that did not dawn on me until just this very moment. That would have been smart. Um, but prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Be prepared. Right? You guys know that one? Uh, okay. What else do we want to talk about before we get to the comics? <coughs> I could mute my mic. It's an option. We'll think, see if I see if I want to do that as we proceed. Um, there was an X-Men vote. Oh, the other thing. So here's the other thing I want to talk about. Um, we've talked about this with uh, Sins of Sinister Talk too as well. So Al Ewing staying on X-Men Red. Not only is he going to stay on, right? Which is essential. Uh, Heralds of Apocalypse are coming. He's going to be doing the Araco Return of Apocalypse, Return of Genesis, Return of the Apocalypse family stuff. Uh, this is not like me prognosticating. This is not Dave Sinney. There's a one shot that has been announced, uh, in the, in the, it's a pre, what are they calling it? Before Fall of X or something like that. So there's going to be all these one shots that set the stage for Fall of X. Uh, two of which were just like, like needlessly spoiler filled, I thought. Solicits. Don't read the solicits. Always a mistake. Um, but what we do know is he's doing apocalypse stuff, and that's going to spill an X Men Red. Like hell yeah, hell yeah. That's coming. That's exciting as heck. Okay. Uh, but in the meantime, in the meantime, we got Sins of Sinister, Storm, and the Brotherhood. Okay. There was an X Men vote recently. If y'all saw this, I don't have a heck of a lot of commentary on the X Men vote. I realized you know, as it was happening, that, like, I care more 
at this point about Dancing with Stars voting than I do about X-Men voting, <laughs> which is not a thing I expected to be saying at any point in my life. Um, but, like, I don't, I'm not interested in that comic right now. Not especially. It's fine. You know? So I think it's, it's what I realized is, like, the voting results on who's going to be on the team and which character is most exciting, it's entirely dependent on the creators involved. You know? So knowing that Jerry Duggan is the writer of it, I think their skill set is best suited for Dazzler or Juggernaut. Um, they've, they've written Juggernaut in the past. Maybe Dazzler was in their Deadpool run. I don't remember. But either way, those are, those are the players that I want to see Duggan handle. No one else. <laughs> uh, in the available options, which were what? Like Jubilee, Prodigy, Frenzy. Um, I mean, Al Ewing's already doing stuff with Frenzy in X-Men Red. So unless Al Ewing's writing X-Men, I don't need it. There it is, baby. Uh, so anyway, I think Duggan's best suited for Dazzler or Juggernaut. I think the winner is like, unc my, my first thought was, okay, Juggernaut's like a walking meme, right? Like, like that has a lot of mass awareness outside of comics fandom. But then the secondary option, which is maybe the one that definitely wins, is Jubilee, because as we saw in the previous vote, Firestar was in Spidey and His Amazing Friends, and that cartoon awareness, mass appeal, dwarfed everything else. Right? So, like, the comics relevance of the characters ultimately does not matter because this vote is made available to everyone. Right? So, it's like, what is that character's curating across the, the wide world? <laughs> and there's only two players there that have a curating that, like, if you just ask a stranger, a rando, a normie, hate that term, uh, if you ask a non-comics reader, they might, they, if they might have watched this cartoon, right? So, they know Jubilee. And they probably know Juggernaut. Everyone else, hell no. You talk to somebody who doesn't regularly read X-Men comics, or maybe know, like maybe they've seen all the movies or whatever. They don't know Cannonball. Get out of town. <laughs> that's, that's a comics reader knowledge. Frenzy, no chance. Prodigy, no chance. Um, somebody else I'm forgetting. Okay. Uh, oh, even Dazzler. I, I'd be curious what the average non-comics reader knowledge of Dazzler is. I'm going to guess it's pretty low. You know, probably pretty low. So, I don't really care who wins. Uh, I think it's going to be Juggernaut or Jubilee, i got to say. Although, I actually think, again, I think Duggan would actually do a good job with Dazzler. Like, like, that's a writer who can play with the history of that character's music career in a way that <laughs> other creators probably aren't interested in or going to be able to. Um, with the exception of Karen Gillan, who would write the best Dazzler ongoing of all time, and we should make that happen. Okay, let's talk about the comics that came out today. Do, 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 do. We got some questions. I'll address them after we talk about this comic. Okay, let's do it. Thanks for joining live. If you're here, again, get in all your questions in the chat. I'll answer as many as I can. Uh, Super Chat is open and available. Thank you, Brandon, for showing support via Super Chat. That is super appreciated. I love it. And let's do this. Let's talk about Sins of Sinister. Oh, <laughs> as I put up that image there, uh, spoilers are going to fall? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you should have read these comics before these live streams. Um, if you haven't, spoilers will follow for Storm and the Brotherhood, number one, uh, for Bishop War College, number one, and I think that's it, right? Anything else come out today? I think those are the two. Okay, let's start with a smaller one then. Let's start with Bishop War College, this odd five-issue mini. Despite the cover, I'm going to jump straight to the end here, okay? So again, like spoilers, spoilers out the wazoo. Despite the cover and Bishop's whole deal, it did not occur to me that this book starring Bishop <laughs> would get timey-wimey and multiverse hopping. Like, I just did not see that coming. <laughs> and I really hope that's the direction. Because the last page of this comic is incredibly exciting. It really is. It was like, oh, okay, we could do something unique and interesting and that fits with Bishop as opposed to, you know, what the preceding chapters of this were, which were really kind of a, a New Mutants Marauders spinoff that was very by the numbers. You know, it was just Bishop training these younger mutants on Krakoa, pretty disconnected from, well, I mean, like, what's actually going on in X-Men comics, which this is my 
my hot take right now is unrelated X-Men comics should be frozen for the duration of Sins of Sinister. Like they should they should have the confidence and have learned the lessons of House of X and Powers of Ten to say when you have something event-sized that you're confident in and that you know is good, freeze everything else because it really dramatizes what's happening in the event. And also like the stuff that is happening devoid of Sins of Sinister, it feels out of place. Now, this is a long time Marvel problem. It is a long time Marvel problem. They always do this, right? They just keep the keep the comics coming. Keep them churning, right? It's a business, yada, yada. Uh, but for the sake of those of us who are actually reading it live, it's so much. Like, how cool was House of X when it was the only book and it was every week? That's what Sins of Sinister should be right now. Three books, three creators, three months. Gives everybody else a chance to catch their breath, too. Catch up, come up with some big ideas. Anyway, not happening. not going to happen, but I wish it was. So Bishop War College... Here in this interim, uh, it felt, you know, pretty disconnected from, from I don't know, kind of anything with meaning. It's got some, you know, kind of Avengers Academy danger room potential with Bishop training these younger mutants. But, like, I don't know. I wasn't, I was just kind of like, why are we doing this? You know, what's the point of this? Then you get to that last page. And it's so cool. <laughs> so what the cover teases is, like, it looks like an all-black X-Men essentially. Um, it's almost the original five. You got Beast, you got Psyche, you got Gene, you got Iceman in the background. Then you get Wolverine and Colossus because as we all can acknowledge, you know, Warren sucks. <laughs> the only interesting thing about Warren is Archangel. Uh, so he doesn't get a cover treatment. Fair enough. Uh, but, you know, that's an interesting thing. Again, I had completely forgotten that this was the tease. I was like, how's that going to come into play until we get to that final page? And Bishop has been transported in time across the multiverse, we don't know which, to uh, the front lawn of the Xavier Institute where there's a black Cyclops and Jean. Maybe they'll have different names, right? Um, or Marvel Girl, maybe. Phoenix, who knows? Point is, the black. Uh, most likely, this means he's traveling the multiverse. This is something I've been banging the drum for for such a long time, okay? The mutants of the multiverse is such an interesting angle that X-Men could play with because, again, if you're establishing Krakoa and you're trying to make a haven for all mutants, that can also mean mutants of the multiverse. This is the Marvel Universe. We know there's a multiverse, okay? Now, it's something that actually came up semi-recently in the underrated Jordan Bloom-written Professor X Age of Apocalypse sequences. These are released on Marvel Unlimited in, um, in the X-Men Unlimited Infinity series. And that series ends kind of... Spoilery, but not really. Uh, honestly, this won't ruin any anything for any of you who haven't read it yet. It ends with talk of mutants across the multiverse because Professor X travels to the Age of Apocalypse, right? He goes to another universe. I really hope Bishop is playing in that space. A uh, couple quotes from Professor X here in that issue. It's selfish to limit the resources of Krakoa to one reality. And what if we could rescue every mutant in all of the multiverse? I so hope. Bishop War College is continuing that general idea and the potential of mutants across the multiverse. It makes for a lot of interesting storytelling potential. Um, but we'll see. These are characters we definitely, uh, to my knowledge, have never seen before. Like, I do not think we have ever seen a multiverse with, you know, an all-black X-Men. It did. I'm seeing somebody mention here in the comments, and it's something that, that I thought of as well, which was it reminded me of uh, Grant Morrison action comics run in the new 52 there's an issue that cuts to um you know a black superman right and he's the the president of that universe uh what's his name calvin something calvin zod uh, I, I should know that they've they've been a player since in multiversity and things um but it is it's this thing where you can get unique interesting perspectives that have not been done before um in a multiverse setting like this and now this book has that potential. I, I am so looking forward to a multiverse or time-traveling bishop as opposed to bishop, the captain commander, training soldiers on Krakoa. But we'll see. We'll see where this puppy comes, where, where it goes next. Um, but fingers crossed, you know, it could be good. So it's kind of a wait and see for me. Um, issue two is going to tell us how much, how much time I actually want to spend with this book. Speaking of books I want to spend time with, let's talk about Storm and the Brotherhood. Uh, this book is 10 years since, you know, the beginning of Sins of Sinister. So we saw in the previous issue 
written by Kieran Gillen, the kickoff to the event, Sinister has taken over. He unleashes his master plan, and he wins, basically, at this point. What we find out in Storm of the Brotherhood is how he continues to win. So we saw that Storm was the only member of the Quiet Council who defies Sinister's takeover, because she's never been resurrected. And she flees to Araka, having befriended the Arakian mutants, right, and the, and the entire culture. Uh, there's kind of a last, or what feels like at the time at least, a last-ditch defense. we got Sunspot involved, uh, WizKids there, a bunch of the Iraqi mutants, right? And Sinister unleashes his chimeras on Araka, and, uh, you know, they, they lose. Brightstorm and, and the X-Men and or whoever's left, right? They lose, and Araka is literally the planet, so Mars is exploded, <laughs> apparently. Now, we'll have to get Neil deGrasse Tyson on the horn and find out what would happen to Earth and the solar system if Mars exploded. I'm sure he would put a severe dampening on <laughs> any enjoyment or fun we've gotten out of this comic. Uh, but the point is, you know, the safe haven, Araka, it's gone. Okay, 10 years in the future, it's destroyed. It's an asteroid belt, Storm and the gang. There, some of them are hiding there, but they're spread out throughout the galaxy. And now, like, they're the resistance, but they're on the run. Al Ewing goes full Star Wars in a data page, doing the Star Wars scrolling text and, and giving us the data to basically set the stage that, like, yeah, this is, this is the rebellion, right? This is the rebellion against Sinister's evil empire. Um, what we learn in this issue, and it moves fast, and it moves pretty hot and heavy, and it's, it's really good. You know, I think the thing that I'm most excited about for Sins of Sinister is what was teased and what we're seeing so far is, like, it's not going to waste beats, you know? It's not going to noodle and just kind of <laughs> let things linger. Or at least it, it shouldn't, and so far it really hasn't. It's going to move fast in one hard direction to a Dominion-sized conclusion, you know? And, and that's what we see here. We already get our answer about, so the big, you know, tease at the end of Sins of Sinister number one, is who stole Mr. Sinister's cloning facilities. And what we find here, at the very end of this, is it's Destiny Mystique. Like, we basically get the answer as to how the clone facility was stolen. Um, we learn early that Destiny Mystique know about Sinister's clone facility, and they set up a mission to destroy the Moira clones and reset the timeline, which is a classic time travel fix, right? Like, that's the most obvious... And, and kind of hackneyed way to reset this timeline. But it's also, like, pretty plausible. You know, the Moiras are save points, right, in video game parlance. And if we reset it to an earlier save point, we can get back to before Sinister killed the Quiet Council and hack the resurrection process. Um, so they set the stage for that. And we get Storm in this team. It includes Cable. It includes WizKid. It includes some new characters. Um, one of whom, who goes here by Quick and is basically a, a mutant Flash, uh, I did not realize this. I saw people tweeting about this, which is super cool, is the young girl who uh, is is visible in X-Men Red uh, being saved by this NASA engineer on Araco. I think his name's Craig or something, um, during Judgment Day. So, like, pulling... Like, that, that... Come on. That internal continuity of creators pulling their own character creations and then making them in a distant future a super relevant player on an X-Men team? That's awesome. I love that stuff. Al Ewing's created that. It works here super well. Uh, the twist here is Mystique betrays Storm and team, classic Mystique, right, as part of her and Destiny's plan to actually prevent resetting the timeline. So that's the twist, is Destiny doesn't... So we think it's going to be like, okay, Mystique and Destiny, they're going to be working against Sinister, right? But that we, the assumption is that that means they're going to be working to reset the timeline because this is the timeline where Sinister wins. That's actually not true. Destiny doesn't want to reset the timeline, because in the reset timeline, in every variation she's seen with her precognitive abilities, Mystique dies. She wants to keep this timeline because this is the version where her wife lives. That makes a lot of sense. And it was not something that I had really considered in full. Destiny doesn't want to undo what Sinister's done. She just wants to use it for her own benefit and be in control of it, right? She doesn't want Sinister driving the car but she does want to go in that direction. And to really hammer that point home, she's working with Orbis Stellaris, a.k.a. the Sinister of Spades, a.k.a. an old man who sits naked in a little yellow ball. Okay, and he teases Dominion. Do we think he's naked? Like, do we think he has a loincloth on, at least? I mean, it's cloaked in shadow in the comic, because what is this Batman damned? 
You know, what, what is this, 1986 Watchmen? Not, not swinging dong in an X-Men comic? Come on. Uh, but, but I'm going to go no. I'm going to go he's completely naked. That's my, that's my headcanon on this one. But he teases Dominion. So Destiny is scheming with a Sinister <laughs> trying to drive this ship to everlasting marriage with Mystique in Dominion. Okay? As some sort of ascended intelligence. And the big question at the end of Sins of Sinister number one was, okay, who stole the base? And, you know, the, the guesses were like, well, it's either like Mystique and, and Destiny, likely guess. Uh, maybe it's the, the real Moira escaped. Um, maybe it's Storm, right? And, and kind of we got a combo of, okay, it was kind of the resistance. And it was Storm and Wizkid and Mystique and Destiny, um, but not quite in the way we expected. It's a cool twist. I liked it. So, all right, I'm going to take a water break. What do you all think? of the twist in Storm and the Brotherhood number one and just the direction of Sins of Sinister where it's going so far. All right, I'm seeing a question here from Brayden who asks, hey Dave, given that scene in Incoming, that's running us back, as what, 2019? <laughs> in Hellions, what do you think the chances are that Sinister has an endgame using Franklin Richards' genetics to warp reality? I think very low. Um just given the state of Fantastic Four and that whole Dan Slott debacle, I would be very surprised if Franklin Richards played any kind of role in the story. It does not feel set up for that. I think that's a story that's probably going to get pecked up again at some point. You know, it's too big to do nothing with it, but I don't see that playing out here. James asks, do you like they seem to be doing small Orcus invasions attacks leading up to the big fall of X attack? Or does that neuter the upcoming event a bit? No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you want to be setting the stage here for Orcus's increasingly hostile presence. Again, because a lot of the stories are not dealing with them as a big bad outright, it's important to really be re-emphasizing that they are the threat to Krakoa right now in order for Fall of X to have a weight and a heft and feel like it's been a moment that has built up, built up to. So no, I think that's really smart. I think it's working pretty well right now. Let's see. Um, JD says, I like the Storm tie-in, but the pacing was not to my liking. Invested in the setup and love tying back to Destiny's motivations. I wonder if Ewing's mojo is disrupted by this crossover given pacing issues. I actually didn't have an issue with the pacing, uh, personally. Um, I think Ewing is kind of a master of the crossover. I don't know. It's something a lot of fans, I think, pretty quickly... like So, like, the history of comics is good runs often get pulled into crossovers and it derails them. And that has happened to Al Ewing as well, um, his Ultimate series, probably chief chief among them, was Civil War II, which is one of the most, worst, com uh, just worst comics, I can just say that. <laughs> it's one of the worst Marvel comic events of all time. <sighs> Generally, though, Ewing has found an approach where he writes really, really damn good uh, crossover tie-in. I mean, Absolute Carnage, has a great Immortal Hulk tie-in. Uh, King in Black has the same. Um, even Sword with the King in Black tie-ins, it was a little longer than it needed to be. But, you know, it didn't really badly derail what he was trying to do anyway. I don't know. It's, it's a creator who's too smart and too gifted to get derailed, I think, in the way that, that fans often think of. So I, I don't see that being a problem here. Also, like, this is, a, this is not part of his run, right? This is just a straight-up part of the event. Um... So playing in the crossover space is something he was doing. I think any, maybe any, you know, I mentioned how it's really fast and it's really direct. Uh, I guess that could be interpreted as a pacing issue. I think that's pretty intentional. Um, from everything these creators have said, they're like, we're going to cover a boatload of time. We're going to just dive in. Like, because, you know, in the, the Sins of Sinister number one, the one thing I talked about was wondering if I'd have liked it more if Gillen had gone headfirst more into the post-Sinister takeover era a la Age of Apocalypse, right? Age of Apocalypse just throws you in. This is the world. Apocalypse rules. It's a dystopia. Um, Gillen held our hands a little bit to get us to that point and to set it up. It was a, it was a classic O.J. Simpson, if I did it, by Mr. Sinister, right? And, and what Ewing is doing, though, is he has the first chance here just to say, hey, what if we just said, okay, 10 years later, here's the world, basically. There's a little explanation how we got there. But mostly it's just here's the world. 
Uh, and I, I thought it was really good. Honestly, I think it really worked. Um, again, this is one of those events too, that like, if it works the way it's supposed to, it's going to read really well together. And I do think now, I don't, I haven't looked at the release calendar, but I think we're going to now be in like basically every week there's, um, there's going to be a new Sins of Sinister issue coming out. So I think if you're reading it just on a kind of regular weekly cadence, it keeps it top of mind enough that everything should flow. My expectation. Let's see. Uh, Banksy says, I was wondering if the other three Sinisters would come into play during this event. It should be interesting to see how the others are involved. Yeah, I mean, this was something I thought about the first one, but I mean, this to me was a lock, was the other Sinisters are going to come into play. And lo and behold, here they are, right? So we know the Sinister of Spades, Orbis Stellaris, is paired with Destiny. I mean, I think the safe assumption here is the creators are going to play with the Sinisters that they introduced in their runs, right? So Ewing has Orbis Stellaris. Um, as we learn in Legion of Ten, you know, or confirm rather, we've been talking about this for a while, Sysburrier's got uh, Mother Righteous. You know, I'm sure we'll be seeing her in Nightcrawlers. And then I guess the big question is, okay, who's Gillen going to take that, right? You have the Orcus guy, <laughs> Dr. Stasis, from Duggan's X-Men run, but Duggan isn't a player in this event. So you got, you got Dr. Stasis as an option, and who's the other one? Who's the fourth? Somebody I'm missing. Uh, oh, just just our OG Sinister, right, I guess? Uh, so I guess the question is, where is Dr. Stasis going to appear? If they are going to appear, which would be weird if they didn't. But yeah, I mean, definitely there. I think the, the four Sinisters are... It's going to be the four Sinisters and Destiny who decide how this ends. It's going to be them who decides what Dominion means who achieves or doesn't achieve it, and how we ultimately get back to telling stories about Krakoa-era X-Men. Because, <laughs> again, remember, like, this isn't actually going to end with Orbis Stellaris, for example, being like, I ascend to Dominion, see ya! <laughs> you know? Because that would mean there are no more X-Men comics, and they're not doing that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to see a lot of them. I think we're going to see a lot of them. Um, okay, let's see. What other questions do we have? <coughs> Carlos asks, where is Apocalypse? It, you know, I think if it wasn't, if it hadn't been teased, or I guess announced, that Apocalypse is coming in X-Men comics later this year, it would have been really interesting to consider, okay, are we going to s- pull him into this alternate sort of timeline in Sins of Sinister? Because the Apocalypse family is coming back later in X-Men Red, be a little surprised if we see them now. Uh, Storm did tease something called the Genesis War, which I would anticipate is what this Apocalypse story is going to be in X-Men Red. Um, Genesis being Apocalypse's wife, who was introduced in Ten of Swords. Uh, so, uh, but I guess to answer the question very literally, uh, Apoc- if you forgot X of Swords or didn't read it, Apocalypse is in a dimension, a hell dimension <laughs> of war called Amenth with his wife and kids. <laughs> or some of his kids, I guess. Uh, so, but but they will be coming back, but I, I doubt we'll see them in Sins of Sinister. <coughs> well, I don't know. I'm seeing some commentary here. Do you, do you all think we'll see Apocalypse in SOS? I mean, we certainly could. Um, if I hadn't seen that solicit, I don't I, I would be saying, yes, we'll see him, I guess. So now I'm curious. What do you all think? Are we going to see Apocalypse in this event? Okay. All right. So, yeah, those are the big comics today. Um, it's pretty good. You know, I continue to be excited about Sins of Sinister. A lot of faith. Uh, you know, so we, we mentioned earlier Legion of X number 10 coming out last week. It, there's not really much to say about Mother Righteous, the Sinister of Hearts. You know, I called that one a while ago. I think a lot of people did. Um, so that that reveal was due. Uh, the bigger thing to me was the reveal. You know, we talked about Orcus and kind of their continued presence. Uh, so Nimrod hacked their Krakoan gates, and in the process, both Warlock and Forget-Me-Not died. Um, this definitely is is big in setting the stage for Fall of X. You know, like Orcus has a hack to the Krakoan gates now that they are not aware of. Uh, I, I don't know if we've, like, talked about this in full, but... I think fall, so like there's kind of two trains of thought on Fall of X, which is coming later this year. One, a lot of fans are like scared that it's going to be the end of this era of X-Men, 
Okay. And what I constantly say there is no, it will not be. I guarantee Dave Stinney guarantee that it will not be the end of this era of X-Men comics. I do probably think it will be the end of Krakoa on earth. Uh, I don't think they're going to, I think Orcus is going to win, you know, in a way, I think they're going to chase them off earth. Um, send them to space, maybe destroy Krakoa itself or contain it in some way. Uh, there's too much going against the X-Men right now and mutant kind, I think. They're too fractured and broken, and there's just too much pointing to. The fall here is going to be of the nation, I think. And then I guess the interesting question is, <coughs> well, does that mean we're, that mean that what comes next is part two, right? If this was... Krakoa as a nation on Earth is moving to part two what comes after the fall of X. And it kind of feels like maybe it would be. I'm definitely curious, like, is it as simple as they're moving mutantum to Shi'ar space, a la what we see in Powers of X? Is it something more imaginative? Are they going to be multiverse hopping, a la what we talked about earlier with Professor X and Bishop in the War College? You know? could be any of those things um mutants in space i mean yeah, maybe maybe i don't know how much legs that has outside of like al ewing's hands right who's been doing what is the state of marvel cosmic across basically every book he touches um i don't hate it i don't hate it if you do a second era where all of mutant dumb is you know in conflict with, you know, annihilation level threats and less about Orcus and the AI presence on Earth and then the third act is it all comes back together. It's interesting. It's interesting. But either way, I mean, I just, I don't think, like Nimrod has already hacked the gates. I mean, Orcus has a lot set up here. They have Moira's intel. Um, Krakoa's not going to win the Orcus-Krakoa war. And I don't think they should, frankly. You know, I, I do think on one hand, it bums me out a little <coughs> because it does feel like despite it having been, you know, a little bit in four years of comics at that point, which is a lot, uh, it still feels like Krakoa as a nation is untapped like that. It still feels like that potential is underbaked, I would say, which is disappointing after four years of opportunities, you know? And I'm talking specifically here about what does it mean for the Marvel Universe to have a nation that is run by all mutants? You know, because there, there's a world where Krakoa can just be Wakanda or Latveria, you know, or Atlantis. They, they go through various changes and states of disarray and rule, but they aren't actually taken out of the Marvel Universe. Krakoa kind of feels like it's going to be, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I'm curious what you all think. That, that's my expectation for Fall of X. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we had an earlier question from Marcos who said, Hey Dave, given the Sinister is moving towards Dominion as the opposite to Moira in Hoxpox, and Moira decided to join the machines in her last life, what change of mind Will Sinister go through? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so, coming out of all of this, how does Sinister adapt? Or how do the Sinisters adapt to having failed to capture Dominion, right, in the Sins of Sinister event, assuming failure? Which I think we have to. Uh, because, yeah, like, Moira's plan is for, basically, if you can't beat him, join him. And trying to become make everyone human so that they can join with AI and ascend. That's her plan. Could I mean so you have a sinister, Dr. Stasis, who's already on the side of Orcus. So that's certainly an option. To be like, well, I'm not welcome with mutant kind anymore. Can I join you all? Uh, obviously Moira would fight against that, but maybe Nimrod would wouldn't care. Remember Omega Sentinel? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of her first time in a minute. Uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, Sinister's not the sort to change their mind either. 
as a character. You know, I'd be curious how much they actually remember of the Sins of Sinister event. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like, what's their, I, I think realistically, you're going to have to cool it on Sins of Sinister, or on Sinister rather as a character after this event. Uh, probably putting them or some of them in the back burner just on the Orca side of things would be the most obvious answer. But I feel like there's potential for something more interesting. I just, I just haven't thought of it yet. Uh, Christoph says, I don't think the fall of X will be the end of the current era. It will bring another status quo. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is, it's going to be Hoxpox era continued. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, not only is this good for X-Men comics, <coughs> but it's good for Marvel. Like, like, the entire Marvel universe is trying to get associated and connected to what the X-Men have going on, right? Spider-Man just did it with the very bad <laughs> Dark Web crossover, Iron Man's doing it right now. Um, it's yet to be seen if Jed McKay's Avengers will. You know, we don't we don't have full and have an answer to that yet, but there's going to be some sort of Avengers crossover per the free compact day teasers that Marvel's been putting out there. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to end this era with an event called Fall of X. They're not crazy. Uh, Banksy asks, thoughts on the Peacock Man? Uh, that's right. The cock with the P tattoo was revealed in X-Force last week. And it was as disappointing as humanly possible. <laughs> that, was, that was such a bust. 37 issues. 37 issues of setup. And we got a clone of the Gene Engineer and their son. Now, many of you might be saying, who's the Gene Engineer? Um, the real answer is just, don't worry about it. Who cares? Uh, Gene Engineer is an extinction agenda from Genosha, um, and, and at earlier, actually, in the better Genosha comics that are part of the Claremont Uncanny X-Men run, Extinction Agendas, listen, Jim Lee, <laughs> real talented fella, does some great art in Extinction Agenda. It's probably my, it's one of my least favorite X-Men events of that era. Um, I really think it's got no meat on the bones. Uh, so yeah, that's where Gene Engineer's from. And uh, this is <laughs> their cloned son, is the reveal. Listen, does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. You got somebody who's interested in cloning and gene engineering. Uh, is it a background that makes sense? Yes. Is there any reason, is there any reason on God's green earth why it took four years and 37 issues? No, there's flipping not. Absolutely not. I mean, I am, oh man, I wish you hadn't asked. I wish you hadn't. Why'd you go and do that? Why'd you go and do that? Listen, there is no book, Okay that would benefit more from some new vision than X-Force. Ben can have Wolverine. He's got Ghost Rider. Things are going fine in the Percyverse. You know, let somebody else try X-Force. Let him try for a while. Stuck in a rut. It's also like that reveal comes in the midst of all this Sins of Sinister stuff and these genuinely cool reveals about all these secret Sinisters that were like, you know, it like it's of a piece and it's these creators playing together across their titles and it all matters and it's building to something. And and then you have this drop and it's been set up for flipping years and it's such a dud. What a turd in the salad bowl. I mean, oh man. I, I tweeted this and it felt really mean. It felt really, maybe the meanest thing I've ever tweeted, but I said X-Force is the Jay Cutler of comic books. And I meant it. And saying it again now, I've never said anything meaner, okay? As a lifelong Bears fan, you don't, here's the thing. One, you don't compare something to Jay Cutler unless you're prepared to commit to the audacity of what you're saying. And two, you don't watch a cutlering happen before your eyes and not call it out. And this book is cutlering all over the place, okay? Listen, there's a Stephen A. Smith <laughs> love him or hate him. There's a Stephen A. Smith bit where he went off the rails on Jay Cutler being the worst quarterback in the league. I think this was back when he was like still like late stage bear. He was with the Dolphins at this point. I don't know. Because I'm the worst quarterback in the league, which seemed absurd, right? You'd, I think by any metrics at the time, you said like, well, he's 15th or 16th. But the logic was that because he's too good to just cut and move on, you wind up stuck with him. And as a result, you wind up stuck 
with the 16th best quarterback in the league, meaning you're never going anywhere. <laughs> you're never winning anything significant. Okay? You're stuck. Your franchise is, at best, a low playoff seed who's going to get knocked out of the first round. That's the Cutler effect. And he's right. As a Bears fan who lived through it, he was 100% right, and that's what X-Force is. It's completely competent. It knows what it's doing. Okay? But it's you're stuck with something that is so far from excellent that has any chance to winning it all. Right? And you're stuck in a rut. We're stuck with Jay Cutler on X-Force, okay? I think Fall of X offers a real, real opportunity to turn that puppy over. Turn it over. Let it go. Give it something new. It's what it needs. All right? All right, I need a drink. Why'd you get me started? Good golly. I'm seeing a lot of laughter in the chat. I've never been more serious about anything in my life. (laughs) Uh, Marco says... X-Force should focus on the war against Vampire Nation. Yeah, how about any? (laughs) How about any of the, like, 12 lingering threads that have not been developed? Pick one. Anyone would do. There's actually a really good article, uh, way more even-handed, on Comic Book Herald right now, written by David Bowen, about the Percyverse and about X-Force, and there's going to be some about Wolverine and the full run to date and kind of, like, what the novelistic aims of it are, what the threads have been, what has worked and what hasn't. It's very fair and and (laughs) even-handed in a way that perhaps I am not being. Um, Yeah, but I don't know. X-Force heads, sound off. Like, like, is there one of you out there? You probably don't listen to me anymore, I guess. Um, But yeah, I mean, listen, like, again, as a Bears fan, if you see a cutlering, you have to say something. And we've been getting cutler for four years. It's exciting at the beginning. I was excited. You watching those Broncos highlights? Guys throwing for 350 yards in a game, making a Pro Bowl? We don't have stuff like that. We don't have stuff like that here in Chicago. You know, we're coming off of Rex Grossman. Kyle Orton. Nobody could throw the ball like that. It's exciting in the beginning. X-Force started just fine. Okay? But now it's still here. (laughs) And it's still going. And it's not going anywhere it would it's just like it's unsalvageable it's unsalvageable it's a sunk cost there is no i mean it would it would i mean how many good issues in a row would it take of just unprecedented skill anyway i don't need to harp on it i think you understand i think you understand what i'm trying to say uh jt asks uh, Krakoa would have been less undercooked if the X-Men title had been consistent. A consistent mutant book showed the like of Krakoa in contrast to life in the U.S., Wakanda, Atlantis, etc. There really has not been that book, um, which is kind of too bad. You know, uh, I do think... I don't know. It's a, it's a hard thing to have pulled off. It really is. Because you want to let these books cook and you want to let creators do what they do and tell their stories... Uh, but it, it does feel like at the end of four years, like we didn't spend enough time on the island, you know? And like we didn't spend enough time kind of understanding like how people feel about it <laughs> and these drugs and stuff. I mean, some of that stuff is resurfaced, certainly. You know, Gillen does a nice job with it in Judgment Day. Um, the Hellfire Gala with like MJ promoting the drugs and stuff like that. Like it comes up. Um, oh, that reminds me. Jerry Duggan teased on Twitter that the next Hellfire Gala, so this year's 2023, is a red issue. I had completely forgotten red issues existed. And man, did that make me sad. It made me almost as sad as Sins of Sinister, number one, ending with Krakoan text. And like, I don't even have my translator anymore. <laughs> like that, that was so fun, man. That was so much hype. And just uh, pure childlike excitement. And, you know... Now I'm just an old man who does taxes. Times have changed. But no, he says it's going to be a red issue, which means something exciting is going to happen, which is good, right? I had forgotten red issues existed. Uh, but nonetheless, I am glad to hear that the Hellfire Gala has, like, import and is driving somewhere. I'm still, <laughs> despite that color rant, I'm not talking about this era. The Destiny of X is good. The Destiny of X is real good. I think you could stack the Destiny of X against Dawn, 
and against rain, and maybe the destiny comes out on top. You know, there's an argument to be made. So I'm I'm very, I, I don't know how stocks work. Is bullish good? I'm a bulls I'm a bulls fan. So like, how about I'm '90s bullish on the future of the X Men franchise through the end of this year? '90s bullish, baby. Like we're talking championship caliber comics. Fully expecting to see more of that through the end of the year. All right. Um, let's see. Open Mike Eagle says X Force could be salvaged if it was tied into the other books in some way. It doesn't seem like Percy's in sync with Ewing, Gillen, and Co. Yeah, I think that that feels very true as well. I think that definitely holds it back. You know who else who wasn't in sync with their teammates? Jay Cutler. <laughs> Listen, it's true. It's true. I do think that would benefit X-Force a lot. Benefit? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels disconnected. I mean, so, does, you know, I think all the books that kind of don't work for me have that problem where it feels like, they're a little too isolated, you know? That's the, like, that's the whole promise of this X office is a collaborative effort of everyone connecting and doing a Krakoan story together. And that's so hard to do. Like, credit where it's due. That is so hard to pull off in modern Big Two comics. That rarely happens. But the alternative is, like, we could have just had Hickman playing iso ball. We could have just had Hickman playing iso ball and, and being James Harden on the Rockets. Terrible example, because didn't enjoy that kind of basketball at all. But you know what I mean. You probably, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't follow the NBA. <laughs> it's very possible. You know, but that's the whole that's the whole point of this era is, okay, the options were, oh, iso ball with Hickman? Nope, team approach. Uh, so when you have these books that don't use that to their benefit, they do feel uh, exaggeratedly isolated, I think. X4 suffers from that. I think Marauder suffers from that, um, and Legion of X at times, although less so towards his back half. All right, get in any final questions, get any final thoughts, I'll answer what I can. All right, what do we got? <laughs> Christoph says the ultimate external story, externals story, hasn't been told. I, I think we can cross that one off. Like, Apocalypse used them up, got us to Ten of Swords, I would be shocketh if we saw the externals again in any meaningful capacity. Let's see. This Sins of Sinister doesn't seem to tie in or affect other Marvel stories like Ten of Swords or AVX, which is, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a future time. Like, is it, I mean, consider it an alternate reality. You know, this is not like an AVX where it's an event that just every, it could possibly affect literally every Marvel book that's happening like in present day Marvel Universe. Sins of Sinister is not that. It's literally future forward. It's literally jumping into the future. So no, it's not going to function that way. <coughs> Xavier says, totally lost on the sports analogies. Hey, thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for sticking with me through the sports analogies. Those of you who do not watch sports, I do appreciate that. <laughs> it's very polite of you. Uh, Marcos asks, Dave, what are your expectations for Nightcrawlers number one and your thoughts on Jed McKay? taking on the Avengers with a new number one in May. So I've talked about the Jed McKay thing before, but I love Jed McKay's work. Does has done like basically no misses across Black Cat, across the best King the Conqueror stories that have come out from Marvel uh, in those issues of Timeless. Um, and then of course, uh, uh, Moon Knight rules. So I have really high hopes for this Avengers run. Avengers is a tricky beast. I mean, it really flipping is, you know, most, most creators fall on their face with Avengers. Like in the history of Marvel Comics, that is the the arc bends toward pratfalls <laughs> with the Avengers. Hickman is an exception. Um, Bendis, I actually really value the new Avengers era in the early days. But, I mean, most creators fall on their face. So I I have high confidence, but it's a really tricky thing. But I hope it's good. As far as expectations for Nightcrawlers... I really hope Cy Spurrier reminds everyone like the fact that they have one of, if not the most impressive resumes in the X office. I've definitely lost that plot through Legion of X and, and Cy Spurrier's when he's on is insanely good. You know, 
There's so many Spurrier comics that I really, really love. Uh, so I hope Nightcrawler is just like, tightens it up. Dives in, does his thing with his characters, but in this future, like he can go bananas in this future landscape. And maybe it'll feel a lot less off-putting. And I mean, Spurrier, listen, and Legion of X loves to move fast. I mean, it's just knocking things over left and right. You know, uh, that might actually work better in this future state. So high expectations, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm a little nervous. <coughs> JD says, can you envision an interesting and new return back to the Westchester mansion? <laughs> okay. Yes and no. No, in the sense of like status quo reset. We're going back to school in Connecticut, you know, and it opens with, with Wolverine smelling the grounds and being like, uh, I remember this place. Like, no, <laughs> I will not be reading that comic. Yes, in the sense that this era of mutantdom needs a flipping school. Give me some school comics. Where's this? What, just because uh, you have a mutant nation, the kids don't need to go to school anymore? Reimagine the concept of school, but do it on Krakoa. Where's that comic? That's what I want to see. I don't call it Westchester. Call it whatever you want. That should exist. Mr. Berlin asked, would I be able to jump into just the reading guide for this new X era? Uh, I've asked this question a lot, but I mean, broadly, yes. Broadly, yes. Will you still have, con like, listen, their continuity exists before 2019, right? So it's not a full-on reboot in the sense of discounting all that. It pays off to know that history. Can you do it without it? Yes, you can. You'll be fine. Uh, JJ asks, who did you vote for? I did not vote. Um, I vote in every election. I vote for Dancing with the Stars. Actually, I don't, but I, I have opinions. <laughs> but I did not vote for the Sexman team. I addressed that earlier. I don't care. I just don't. Uh, all right. Any final thoughts? Oh, yeah. Uh, Carlos mentioned Zorn and Rasputin coming back and saving the day. I forgot. They're coming back. At some point in Sins of Sinister, we're going to see them. That's exciting. That's real exciting. You know, are they going to explain how the heck they got there? Like that's, is that my number one question since this whole thing started is how we actually explain Xorn and Rasputin traveling through a black hole back to <laughs> the Sins of Sinister from a different reality or from a different Moira timeline? I think it is. That, that might be the number one thing I'm looking forward to now. All right. Very last question. Is LeBron the GOAT? Now, I've mentioned earlier that I'm Chicago-based. And I think what you're going to find from someone who is familiar with the game of basketball and familiar with the presence and game of Michael Jordan is that the answer is no. <laughs> LeBron is not the GOAT. Uh, that would be Michael Jordan. Uh, LeBron's flipping great, though. Okay? Real good. Real good guy. Real good player. Uh, not the GOAT. Can't be the GOAT. Never better than Jordan. Nobody's better than Jordan. Just stop it. Stop it. It's not quite Claremont and X-Men levels. You know? It's not quite there. Because I, I do think... Like, is Claremont and X-Men surpassable? I guess is the question. It's a tough one. It, it, it actually might be Claremont and X-Men levels. I don't know that Claremont and X-Men is surpassable. Because of the influence. Because of the time. And because of the quality, right? I don't know. It's a little tough to compare. If you're just looking at the X-Men landscape, Claremont is the Jordan. <laughs> but if you're looking at like Marvel or all of comics, then it's like, well, no, he's not Michael Jordan. Um, but just in X-Men terms, for those of you who don't know sports, Chris Claremont, still the Jordan. Uh, who's the LeBron? That's a more interesting question. It's a Grant Morrison, Hickman. Scott Lobdell? It's not Scott Lobdell. All right, I'll leave that tease for next time. Next time we'll talk about who is the LeBron of X-Men. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining. Enjoy the comics.